morning, everybody. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you haven't, and turn to that passage, Acts 2, verse 37. Last week, I introduced you to the idea of semper reformanda, which is that the church needs to be always reforming. Um, I tried to help you understand that uh, healthy churches continually look at themselves and ask themselves, so we've got this form that we're using. How biblical is it? Is it working? And is it helping us to become more like the image of Christ? Because after all, everything we do here is supposed to help us become more like Jesus. And over time, sometimes those things shift or they don't work as well. And so Semper Reformanda is to say we need to always be looking at the Word and realizing that the forms that we have in ministry need to be held loosely. Forms like the particular programs that we have and even the wording like, for example, in our Constitution. And this is the way that we do ministry. Forms are good, but sometimes they can become fossilized and become too good. I tried to help you understand that our forms come from culture, history, and also Scripture, really moving from insights and lessons and principles. And so the goal of all of that was just to help you as a church understand um, that um, a healthy body of Christ looks at itself continually. Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock we're having a congregational meeting and the only thing that we're going to vote on is the men that we call pastors at College Park Church. And we just want to get some clarity on that as we're beginning a process over the next number of months uh, looking at a number of things related to our Constitution. And we're going to lay all those out for you tonight. What specifically are we uh, targeting? Uh, what is the timeline? And, and just also where uh, are we headed with this conversation about the Constitution? So those things will be important and really want you to make tonight a priority if you can. Now, after last week, I had an experience uh, with uh, a few of you that I, I think kind of compares to uh, what happens to my kids. Uh, let me show you. Every once in a while, I'll say to my kids, okay, family meeting, okay? And the minute I do that, they do this. What's wrong, Right? Or, or the family meeting, what'd you do? You know, they want to know, talk to each other, what'd you do wrong? We're calling a family meeting. And, and this week and, and last week, we're both kind of family meeting times. And I want to assure you, there's nothing wrong. There, there, there's no thing behind the scenes or some problem that we're trying to, to address or some big, hairy thing that we just got to fix. Well, we're in a church, we're in a situation where we've, we, we've got some opportunities in front of us, and there's some things that we need to talk about as a church ministry. And that's what we're going to do today. And in fact, it's been interesting to hear some of the conversations as we've talked about some of the growth uh, challenges and opportunities that are in front of us. Uh, candidly, there are people on really both sides of a perspective on the various uh, options that are in front of us. Let me give you an example. Within a week, I had one person say to me, and then the same week, a person said, so you're thinking about a building, right? I mean, we need more space. You're thinking about a building, right? And like two days later, I had another person come to me and saying, hey, you're not like thinking about a new building, are you? All right, so we got, we got two very different perspectives within the same body of Christ. And, and our role as elders is to try and help lead us through uh, this time as a church when we have some unique opportunities in front of us and also an environment in a cultural setting with a recession and people losing their jobs that presents some, some unique leadership challenges for us. And on the one hand, we don't want to be insensitive in any way to the reality of what many of you are walking through in difficult and hard seasons at work. And, and really the uncertainty all of that has really created some, some fear, some fear that, that I'm hearing like I've never heard before. And yet in the midst of that, we also have some opportunities as a church that we have to figure out what we're going to do. And so I'm just the kind of person and, frankly, the kind of pastor that when we're doing something, I want you to know about it. And if there's a 300-pound gorilla in the middle of the room, we're going to say, hey, there's a 300-pound gorilla in the middle of the room. And we're just going to tell you what we're doing. And we want you to know what our heart is and kind of what's going on in our thinking. 
And uh, I just want you to trust me that there's no, like, hidden agenda or some big hairy thing that's going to come out of the closet, like, next week, okay? So here's, here's what I want you to see, that right now we're in a process of trying to lead through two issues, growth and recession. And this presents a challenge. Let me show you how. In the first case, if there was no recession and we had growth, it's a no-brainer, okay? No, no recession and there's lots of growth, lots of people coming. You know what you do. You're like, hey, add more space to the church. On the other hand, if there's a recession and there's no growth, it's also a no-brainer. From a leadership standpoint, it's like, look, what you do is you cut costs and reduce. Well, our challenge is that we're smack dab in the middle, is that we have a recession and we also have growth. And that presents a real unique challenge for us as leaders. And therefore, what we've committed to do are three things. Stewardship is the first one. Planning is the second one. And the third is communicate. By stewardship, it means that we're looking at every area of ministry and asking ourselves, how can we be even more effective? How can we be even more cost-effective? What can we do in the short term to address the needs that we have in our church family? The second thing that we're doing is some planning to be able to say, okay, whatever we do short-term needs to fit into a long-term comprehensive plan. And uh, what does it mean for us to, to take little steps in light of big steps? And so, therefore, we're engaging in a... In a in a planning process, just to take a look at what's the big picture plans for growth and our strategy for growth at College Park Church. And the third thing is that we're going to communicate so that you know what's going on. And part of my role is to help you kind of get used to that communication so that you know not only decisions that we're going to make, but also, here's really important, that you know how we're going to make them. And so what our elders decided that we wanted to do was to talk to you about the how and the why well before we ever decide on whatever the what is. Because frankly, we don't know what the what is. We're in a scenario where we're just like, look, we got a recession and we got growth. And that's something that more than anything else in the last number of months has caused me to just seek the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do with this. And how do we manage the opportunities that you're giving us with the reality of the uncertainty of this season? And, and therefore, our elders felt it wise to bring you in on that conversation. Because after all, this is your church. We're the leaders, but this is your church. And there's things, frankly, that we need you to know what we're doing and what we're not doing. We also need you to um, understand the reality of some of the challenges that we're facing but there's a third thing, and that is we need your help with some things. There's some things that we need you to do, and you're, frankly, you're the only ones that can do them in order to help us address some of our short-term solutions. And so what our aim today is, is just to have a, a church family time, so to speak, to talk about these things and uh, to look very specifically in one particular text, which is Acts chapter 2. Last week we saw in Acts chapter 6 that the growth in the church created some challenges, and so therefore they got the right people in the right positions doing the right things. And that's how a church is secure and safe. The safety comes by right people doing the right things. And, and last week we saw that the apostles had to find a new and better way to meet the needs of the people. That was last week. This week, I want to just take a look at Acts chapter 2 and the priorities that are in the book of Acts. And then talk through a little bit of the philosophy of ministry that we're using during these days so that you can know what we're doing, what we're not doing. And as we move forward, you can understand what it is on our hearts, what is on our hearts, and what we're thinking. So, right priorities in Acts chapter 2 and also College Park Church. You know, the great thing about the book of Acts is that it's a historical narrative. It gives us things that, that, that describes how the church was developed, how it grew, and how it was even run. 
The thing you have to be careful with the book of Acts is it's not always prescriptive. Meaning, there's some things in the book of Acts that are there that are just descriptive. That we're just told how they did things. And that's great for how they did them then. doesn't mean we have to do it that way now. But there's other things that are prescriptive. The things that we see repeated in other pastoral epistles, for example. Where we see priorities that are, are being played out. And what I want to do today is take a, a passage that is, is descriptive. But within it are some prescriptive priorities. And I want to benchmark our church with that church. Some of you are probably familiar with benchmarking, right? We do that all the time. I have this saying that I use all the time. Look, we are not the only church that's ever had this problem. Somebody else has had this problem. Find them and figure out what they did and steal all their ideas. That's what we're going to do. I had a speech professor in college who said this, originality, Mark, is just forgetting your source. So you think about that for a little bit. Some of you will go home and be like, oh, I get that now. So originality is just forgetting your source. The point is, is that benchmarking helps you to kind of see, okay, here's where they're at, here's where this church was at, and that's what we're going to do this morning uh, from this particular passage. Notice first, the characteristic of this church is that there was preaching. The preaching was preaching the crucified Jesus as Lord. Verse 36 says... Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the conclusion of Peter's message at Pentecost. And if you were to look back in Acts chapter 2, you would see this development of Peter's argument as he looks at who Jesus is, who he was, and he comes all the way down to the clincher, and his clincher, his conclusion is this, God made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) That's a strong conclusion, wouldn't you agree? I mean, here it is. In modern day vernacular, it's this. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. You people killed him. That's a strong word. And here is the central reality of what is so important about that conclusion. It is that Jesus as Lord and you killing him is the heart of the gospel. There are two things that people have to know. It is, number one, that Jesus is Lord and secondly, mankind is guilty. That's the essence of the gospel. And churches who are true to the word of God declare with utter abandonment and confidence and without being ashamed, Jesus is Lord, we're guilty. What I want you to understand is that preaching of Christ as Lord is a part of the fabric of what makes this church unique. And what has made it unique for 23 years, keeping the main one, the main thing that was part of our historical cultural principles, part of the DNA of this ministry, our first core value is the preeminence of Jesus. It's why the core series on the book of Colossians just fit. It was just like a hand in glove with the the DNA of College Park Church. The fact that Jesus is Lord, and we don't make Him Lord, He is Lord, we just have to deal with it. And what we need to understand is that message is non-negotiable. So therefore, what I want you to know is that that particular focus on Christ as Lord and us as guilty, that's never going to change. Now why do I say that? Well, because every once in a while, when more people start coming, um, there's some folks who might begin to think this, well, all these people coming, is that going to change our message? And the answer is no. Or some of you might think, well, with all these people coming, are we becoming like a, like a seeker-oriented church and a seeker-sensitive church? And those churches have their places, and I'm not saying that we're down on those churches, but you might have a wrong view of what that is and might think, well, were we coming like that? Let me tell you what my philosophy is this. 
It's this. I want people to be as comfortable as they can possibly be as they're driving in the parking lot. That's why you see those visitor signs. Well, we've got good signage for our visitors. I want them to be as comfortable as they can when they walk into the fellowship hall. I want them to come in and as they're trying to fight for seats. I want them to be as comfortable as they possibly can as they find a spot so that they can then be as uncomfortable as possible in the presence of the living God. That, that's the goal. So it is that we make them as comfortable as possible so that they can hear an uncomfortable message of Jesus is Lord and we're guilty. So if today's the first day you've come to College Park Church, you know what our strategy is. Our strategy was to make you as comfortable as possible so that you could now understand the importance of this message. This uncomfortable message radically changed our lives. The message of the beautiful word of Christ that he is Lord and we are guilty. It's important for you to understand that. After we conclude Easter, we're moving into a new series on the book of Matthew. And the reason why that series is important is because I want us to walk along with Jesus, hear what he says, see what he does, bask in the beauty of who he is as Lord, and to be able to realize afresh and anew that Christ as Lord and us as guilty is the essence of what preaching and church and life change is all about. Let me assure some of you, Growth is great. Growth doesn't have to change how you present Christ. And that's not going to happen here at College Park Church. Number two, there was a God-given repentance leading to public baptism. Look at verse 37. I love what happens here. So Peter preaches this message. It's Jesus is Lord. You're guilty. Strong word. And then says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, meaning that they were under conviction. And what happens here is God gave them at that moment the gift of repentance. Their eyes opened. They heard the word. They saw the reality of their condition. They, they understood that they were guilty. That's what happens. Conviction comes. Repentance set in. And then they were cut to the heart. They felt the full weight of their sin. They felt like this word from the person speaking, from Peter, was exactly just for them. And then they were motivated to do something. They, they cry out to Peter and they say, what shall we do? I mean, I love that. That's like a preacher's dream. You're in the middle of a sermon. Not in the middle. At the end. When you're, you're getting to the conclusion and you say, Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord in Christ and you killed him. And then have the people say, what do we do? That's beautiful. It's like, oh, it's just beautiful. And Peter in that moment, he grabs a hold of that moment. And here's what he says. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance, Greek word, metanoia. It means you're walking one particular path and you change your mind. It means that you change your mind. And the gift of repentance means that God invades your heart and he changes your mind about who Christ is. And in this moment, repentance comes and he says, change your mind about who Jesus is. That he's not just some rabbi, not just some teacher. He was Lord and Christ. And he says, change your mind about him and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, those of you who are thinking biblical Christians will see that text and go, wait a minute. Does that mean that Peter's suggesting that salvation comes through the act of baptism? No. In fact, if you were to trace it out in other passages throughout the New Testament, it's clear that our actions don't result in salvation. So what's happening here? What is, why does Peter throw in the baptism piece? Here's why. What he's saying is that baptism and repentance go hand in glove. They're not the same, but they go together. 
And that baptism, when someone changes their mind about Christ, is the way in which you publicly identify with the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and say, I'm a part of those Jesus people. The changing of your mind means you've changed your mind about Jesus. And the way that it shows up is you say, I believe in Jesus. And the first way you do that is baptism. So he says, so that's why repent and be baptized are linked. Doesn't mean they're the same, but it means they do go together. Baptism, therefore, is a symbol that has a strong representation of something that happened in the past. And you're familiar with that, those of you who are married. You wear a ring, right? And I could look at this and say, well, it's just a gold ring. What's the, what's the big deal? And when I do weddings, I talk about the ring. I say the ring represents this moment, and when you put that ring on your finger, it identifies that this moment happened, and it says, this body is owned by somebody else. So back off. That's what it means. It's a back off symbol. It is. And therefore, when someone takes the ring off, it says available, right? Or you could say, well, it's just a ring. But if I were to take my ring off and say to my wife, you know, I just that ring thing, it's just old school. I don't want to wear that anymore. And, you know, jewelry, woo. You know, I don't want to do that. So I, I put, the, put the ring aside. That's going to be, we're going to have a conversation, you know. We're going to have a family meeting, and there's going to be a problem, okay. So, and the reason is, is because this is a symbol, but it's more than that. It represents what happened in the past. It's honoring that, that moment when I pledged my vows to Sarah. In the same way, baptism is a public profession. I believe in Jesus. It's a statement that I'm not an incognito follower of Christ. Listen, there are no incognito followers of Christ. Not real ones. There there are no folks who just simply can live in a closet and say, Well, I I believe in him. I just don't want people to know. And for some of you, the application from this point in this message is this, is that some of you, for whatever, you, whatever reason, have not taken the very first step and pledged your allegiance to Christ. And you think, well, it's just a formality in a church service. No, it isn't. It's like the ring as it relates to a wedding. It's where you say to the body, I belong to Christ and I belong to you. And that's a really important part of the beautiful fruit of repentance. So some have asked me, well, this 25% growth rate, is that just a lot of curious people? And that could be. You know, new pastor, new things happen, and I called it the giraffe from Holland effect, you know, where you kind of go to the zoo to see the new display and things of that sort. Um, But as Dale talked with you about a few minutes ago, the folks that are joining the church, I, I don't think that's the trend. I don't. Because I see the number of folks that are being baptized, which is why we put it in the morning service. We wanted you to see that so that it's, it's important to you, that it's as important as anything else that we do. I also know that there's a host of people who are engaging in ministry and folks who are engaged in our small groups. So my sense is, is that these folks who are coming to us are hungry and they're ready to be part of the body of Christ. You see, our elders don't want a big church just to be big. Let me be clear. We don't want to be big just to be big. I don't. Our staff team doesn't. But what we do think is this, and this is important, because some of you are down on big. There is something wonderful when, like in the book of Acts, a lot of people get serious and say, we believe in Jesus, all 3,000 of us. The world says, 3,000 of you believe in Jesus. Now, there's something bad when it's 3,000 people like, yeah, we go there and we just kind of hang out and it's like, yeah, it's okay. I just kind of go there. That's not following Jesus. That's shopping. 
And what the call of this text is this, that there's a host of people who say, we believe in Christ, and our elders want a lot more of that. We want lots of people who would be a part of our body, who would be genuinely followers of Christ, who would say, we believe in Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to Him, we love Him, and watch us take this world by storm. And we think a lot of that is good. Therefore, we're trying to figure out how do we help more people experience this. And so we're revisiting a master site plan along with our long-term growth strategy. I'm telling you about that because eventually some friend of yours is going to tell you, you know, they're talking about plans because we have to talk to Sunday school teachers and got to figure out what are our space needs here. And eventually you're going to hear about it. So it's just best you hear it from us straight up. We're, we're doing some master planning. doesn't mean we've made any decisions. doesn't mean that, that there's like some, some building coming down the pipeline. It just means that we got to do some planning because at some point down the road, we got to figure out what our long-term solutions are here. And the reality is that we need to communicate not only what we're doing, but we also need to be good stewards and plan uh, behind the scenes, and we want you to know what we're doing because this is your church, not just our church. So God-given repentance leading to public baptism. Here's the third thing. It is that we are continually committed to the basics. Look at chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now, here's where I think we get into something that's prescriptive. It's interesting to me that the book of Acts tells us specifically what they were devoted to. And I think these are the four ingredients, the the four pieces of the recipe, so to speak, that that make a healthy, biblical, God-honoring church. I think this is the recipe for life change. This stuff is really important. And there's four things. All of them are equally important. There's teaching. You know what teaching is? It's the teaching of the Word of God. In in the book of Acts, it was Jesus' teaching. The the canon hadn't been closed. We didn't have all the letters that we have today. And so they were studying Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching through, or Jesus' teaching through the apostles. So teaching is a part of it. But so is fellowship. And the idea is there is we're sharing life together. The word koinonia, it means two people walking arm in arm. It means that they're bearing your burdens and you're bearing theirs. It means that you know people and they know you. It means that you're able to be honest and transparent. It means that you're able to do life. That you've got friends who who, who believe in Jesus and can help you walk in newness of life. It means that you were never meant to walk alone. There's also breaking of bread, which is the Lord's table. And and that is that once a month we celebrate the Lord's table. And, And you might think, well, those are just symbols too. And yes, they are just symbols. You don't get saved by taking those. But it's like a wedding ring again. Those symbols have power in them in that they represent a a wonderful event in our lives who know Jesus the moment that we received him when his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And that, by the way, is the one event that when we discipline someone, we say, this thing you can't do anymore until you repent. You may be able to come to a Sunday school class or... Depending on the scenario, you may be able to be around here. But the one thing you can't do is Lord's table. It's sacred. It's special. Reserved only for those who are in right fellowship with Him. And and the last thing is prayer. They committed themselves to to praying together, to spending time together before the Lord, and and to seek Him. Let me be clear. All four of these are important. Some of you tend towards the teaching piece. You love teaching. And and can I just exhort you a little bit here that you know that preaching can become an idol? Where you just like new information and new speakers and new teachers. You like more information. And the thing about that is we like that because we get more and more information. But we don't have to do anything necessarily with it. And you can actually become a consumer of biblical preaching. 
You can become a consumer of the Word of God. And by the way, that's happened before. It was called the Pharisees. They knew so much, but their lives didn't fit. So there can be un- a lack of balance in this. And, and, and some of you just you come because you like good teaching, you like the worship service, and that's it. And I just want to challenge you that that's not what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the holy orb thing here of teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. You've heard us talk about worship too. It's our overflow room. We looked at a number of options to give us a really um, good but short-term solution just to get more seats and we decided to put some money and time and energy into worship too. So we started talking about it. We're in the process of putting a leadership team together for that um, worship service. They, they're in there by video. And uh, eventually we're going to have uh, uh, people leading worship in there along with what's happening in here. And we have new seating, new lighting, a lot of things. And the reason was is because I didn't want that to be the penalty box. <laughs> you came late and you get stuck in the penalty box. I wanted that place to be have all four characteristics of these things. And I, I heard one Sunday, months and months ago, that we had forgotten to get the communion plates back there. And I was like, ah, we, we can't do that. And we have to just remember, it has to be just like it's over here. And our hope for those of you in worship too right now is that you're feeling more connected than you ever have. Because that's, it's important for those four ingredients to be there. And while I'm on that, let me just add another piece. It's important that adults experience all four of these. It's also important that kids experience all four of these. We have a challenge here at College Park Church that we need to talk about. It is that in most of our services, about 90% of the audience are adults, and a stunning number of our children do not worship with their parents on Sunday mornings. And in fact, a third grade teacher came up to me today and he said, Mark, you know, 80% of my kids in the particular class that he leads have never been in a morning worship service. Let me tell you an even scarier statistic. 50% of our high school students, 50% don't come to a morning worship service. Now, some of this may be because of space crunch. Some of this may be because you're just like, well, there's not enough room. I think that might be one problem. Here's another problem. It's a priority issue. Let me just... Let me encourage you with something and also exhort you and maybe even rebuke some of you. If children grow up in a church when all they've known is an individualized class tailored to their particular needs and they've never worshipped together as a family, what do you think they're going to do when they become adults? Do you think that when they go off to college that suddenly they're going to have an aha moment and they're going to integrate back into the church? Statistically, that isn't happening and we are going to lose the next generation. So one of the things that I want you to think through, and especially dads, is there is something incredibly valuable and important about your children experiencing these four things in the context of body life worship. Listen, they can hear the word from me, but they need to see you worship. Please, your kids need to see that the the value of worshiping together as a family is the most important thing for us. Us together in God's presence. You need to teach your kids that God is worthy to be sought. And the best way to do that is on Sunday morning. So that means that for some of you, you have to make a a change. Because some of you, you come to this service because you drop your kids off and then you go pick them up and you leave. And that's the priority issue that I just want you to think about. And what is that going to do over the long haul of your children? Now, if everyone brought their kids, you might say, here's an argument. If we all brought our kids, there wouldn't be any room. And here would be my answer to that. 
you know what? We'll figure a way to get around that. But I refuse to have space problems, compromise, philosophical priority issues. When I look at the hearts and lives of our kids and I see the reality of what our culture has uh, luring them away, my heart just beats and weeps for the reality of what needs to happen in their hearts and lives or they're going to get a really warped view of church and they might not ever come back. One of the reasons that our children's ministry staff in April, we're starting an 1115 fully staffed children's ministry. We already have the staff in place. Praise the Lord. Our people, they're wonderful. You know why? Because they believe in this message and they've stepped up and volunteered for the 1115 hour. So now you've got a second option. You could worship together in this hour and your kids could still go to Sunday school. And if you want to go get a cup of coffee, great. We'll get a cup of coffee and then come back and pick them up. Or our children's workers would tell you, if you have to choose between Sunday school and worshiping together, all of them would tell you, no, you need to be worshiping together as a family. So these are important, beloved. These are important for the life and health of adults, but also children. These are important things for us as a church ministry to say, look, we have to be sure that as we move forward that we don't leave these important pieces behind. Fourth, there was clear evidence of God's power. Chapter 2, verse 43 says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. The word awe there, it means reverential fear. There was this sense of, oh my goodness, God is here. There is nothing better than church like that, and nothing worse when you haven't experienced that in a long time. You know what reverential awe is? It's that sense that God is working in the midst. There's nothing more beautiful, more attractive, more appealing than this thought, God is in that people. He's in their midst. He's doing things. There's nothing more wonderful than seeing and knowing and experiencing that this is the real deal. I hate fake church, and I know you do too. And guess what? The world hates fake church. You know the only person who likes fake church? The devil. That's who. And when the church gets real, the community around it says, Wow, you people are like real. And that's attractive because they want real deal people. Remember we had the cardboard testimonies here a number of, uh, number of months ago? Remember that? One after another? You know what was powerful about that moment? It was because people were real. And it was like, yes! And we stood and applauded after that. Remember that moment? I had a pastor who saw this on our website. I don't know how many, like 50, 60,000. That's not an exaggeration. People have seen that video on our website. It was picked up by a Christian recording artist, and, and uh, people have seen it all over the world. And a pastor in our community saw that, and he said, Hey, how did you get those people to be that honest? What would you, what'd you do to them to get them to be that honest? And I was like, Well, we took guns, and we went to their house and said... <laughs> I said, we didn't do anything. We just said, here's a blank piece of cardboard, and we want you to write how you've changed. And, and, and you remember that day, the more transparent the card, the more powerful it was. It was like it broke through the veneer that we love to put up. And real power, real life change, that this is the real deal, is unbelievably appealing. And therefore, I just want to call you to keep doing stuff like that. Keep being honest in your small groups. Keep tearing down the, the, the walls that, that, that lie between you and what life change could really be. That the clear evidence of God's power is what the church was all about. And that's the mark of churches who people say, what is going on at your place? Fifth, 
that was an other-centered culture. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here's what was happening. They made a connection between God's graciousness and being gracious to others. And that's what happens in mature bodies. They see, I've received so much grace. How can I not be gracious to others? They, they held their possessions loosely. They, they saw their resources as a ways of meeting other people's needs. But realize, this holding things in common and selling their possessions, this was the fruit of an inner heart that was concerned about other people. So what's really going on here is this church because of their experience of God, had become radically other-centered. This is a sign of a healthy, Christ-centered, spirit-led, word-driven church. It is that the people are other-oriented. Philippians 2. Paul says this. This is verse 4. Let each of you not only look for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. So, don't look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. If you go on in that text, it would say, consider others as more important than yourselves. So that involves giving, like we talked about, about sharing your M&Ms. Remember that? I've gotten lots of M&Ms or people who've said, you want some M&Ms? Oh, no. Yeah, they're like, oh, funny. Yeah, done there, been there, done that. So you got people you know, sharing the M&Ms. Even heard some kids who um, their parents found them rifling through their cupboards. And they're like, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're going to go out in the street and we're going to sell canned goods to raise money for people who are in need in our church. You know, what is a parent you're going to say then, you know? No. You know, of course, you're like, yes, here, take this one, this one. They went out and sold lemonade and raised money. That's beautiful. And that's the kind of stuff that ought to come from the hearts of people who understand the generosity that they've been given and also the way in which God has been working in their lives. But let me take that also another step. It also means remembering that full hallways and competitive seating may be familiar to you, but it's not to a new person. And it's just, it just means that you come to church with a mentality of there's other people here who have needs. Right now, our, um, our worship services are not balanced in their attendance. It feels a little more like there's more room today because of spring break. But the reality is this service in particular is way above the 80% capacity. Our, our capacity here is about 120 to 125% every Sunday. This service is the most full service of any service. So here's what I'm going to ask some of you to do. I'd like for you to prayerfully consider not coming to this service anymore and instead going to the 8 o'clock service. Okay, let that sink in. Okay, just for a second, okay? So, just, I know, I know. It's like, wow. You know, what shall we do? <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. And the reason that we're talking about this, listen, is because we get used to doing things a certain way, don't we? And we like the way that we do things. I go to the restaurant, I always order the same hamburger at Red Robin. I've tried other ones, and they're just not as good, you know? They're just not. And then I try something else. I, I go, we've gone to the same campground for 15 years. We're going to try a new one this year, and I'm all nervous because, you know, it just, I like the same thing. And some of you, you sit in the same spot every Sunday. In fact, some of you people don't even know these people over here. You're in the same church. That's right. Hi. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes, here's, here's a little clue for you. Like, switch countries every once in a while. Like, go over here, and then you go over there, and you'll, like, meet a whole different group of people. Be like, wow. And, and here's the other great thing. I won't be able to take attendance and know if you're here. So there's another bonus to that. So switch. You don't even, you sit in the same seat. And then what happens is, oh, man, 
Some new person comes, and holy smokes, they sit in your seat. And you walk down the aisle, and you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, they got my seat. Don't they know? That's my seat. God met me there. They can't sit there. And no, you don't say that. No, you just sit down, and you stew about it internally. And next week, you're like, we are so getting here early, right? So get our seat. And then the ushers come up and they say, can you move over a little bit? And you're like, oh, like it's the biggest spiritual deal in the world to get up and move four seats over, right? So that's how we are. That's just, and the reality is spiritually Christ-centered, spirit-led-minded people think about others. That they pull in the parking lot and they think, you know what, I don't, I don't even deserve that spot. What I deserve is like that spot. And so you drive over there and you, you yield that spot to somebody else because you, you, you think that someone is more important than yourself. And that's what we need you to do. That's why we need your help. We're not going to like give you, you know, parking spots and, and assign seating or say, okay, now you have to go here. We're just asking you to develop a little bit more of an other-centered perspective and say, you know what? One way that we can do this on Sunday mornings is we can change the service that we're going to to try and free up some seats. Because this is the service when most visitors come. This one right here. And by the way, they show up at 925 thinking it's going to be easy to find a seat because that's how it is in most churches. And then they show up and they're like, whoa. And so we need you to help us. To have an other-centered mindset, to have a perspective that says, Lord, other people are more important. Therefore, park far, sit close, come early. Remember, gravel is what? Godly. Amen. I thought of a new one today. I was walking in. Pebbles. Pebbles are providential. I thought of that. I thought sand is sanctified. I, somehow i got to get this into your hearts that when you drive in, your kids are like, gravel is godly. Gravel is godly. Go park a long ways out. And if you're really super spiritual, grass. Oh, wow. Grass. <laughs> I'm telling you what. Man, you find some grass, that's like, whoo, heaven. So you go find that. Number six. They met in large meetings and small meetings. Look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So here's what it says. Look, they're going to the temple together, and they're also meeting in homes. So they're getting together in large groups, and they're getting together in small groups. Part of being a part of the body meant that they were there more than just when the whole body was there. They were getting in one another's lives. There are some people who look at church as, well, I just attend there. I just, I just come. And you know, that's okay for a season. Sometimes that's where you're at in a, just a process of trying to figure things out. And I don't want you to feel guilty for that. But listen, you can't stay there long. Because what will happen is you'll just, you'll just come and you'll just listen and you'll leave. And you'll never connect life to life. And you're missing half of what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so we want you to connect into a group. We have two kinds of groups here around College Park. We have small groups that meet in homes. We have big groups that meet at church. Big groups meet on Sunday at church and small groups meet at home. And the reason why we have those is because we're committed to making a big church small. Because when the bottom falls out of your bucket and you need help, you need a small group of people to wrap their arms around you and say, look, I, I can help walk you through this season. And by the way, you need to be helping people whose bottom has also fallen out of their bucket. You were made to invest into other people, to get into their life as well. And so for some of you, the action point from this Sunday would be, look, let's make the step of getting into a small group or getting into an ABF class to decide, you know, most of our ABF classes meet during this hour anyway. So we're going to go to 8 o'clock service and, man, we're going to find an ABF class to, to, uh, to be a part of. To say, you know what, I want to have my life invested into the lives of other people. And then finally, there was 
An expanding favor of ministry. Expanding favor and ministry. Look at verse 47. It's stunning. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So notice there was joy. They were praising God. There was this sense of favor with um, the, the community, with all the people, and the fact that the Lord continued to give them people. It's like they, they dealt with the, the dynamics of who they were as a church, and God could give them more people. He could entrust them with more. And what's happened is that their influence and their favor increased. So listen, one of the ways for College Park to be influential in this city is for us to leverage the people and resources that we've been given in a bigger way. So it's not that we want to be big for big sake, but listen, large churches can do things that other churches can't. It's not saying that smaller churches are bad. It's just saying that we've got a lot of stewardship. For instance, our Brookside project. I mean, that thing is amazing. We've got a renovations happening at the Beach House. Kids' church is happening at a whole new level. We have an after-school program that we just started in the Brookside neighborhood, one of the schools through CEF. We got an after-school mentoring program that's filled with all kinds of volunteers. We're already we're booked all the way through the month of May. We have moms who are involved in a heart change ministry. We're getting into the lives of, of moms who are bringing their kids to kids' church. And now we're finding relationships with other churches are starting to grow. I mean, Dale's booking things on my schedule to go and meet these particular pastors and hear what they're doing and to see their strategy. We're having beautiful conversations between inner city churches and suburban churches and figuring out how can we help you and not get in your way? How can we be a part of the community of Christ? And how can you help us to understand how to be able to do ministry? We're in the process of planting seeds for this ministry, but we're already seeing early fruit. There's expanding influence expanding impact. And on top of all of that, then God gives them more people to minister to. And what that means is that God in His sovereign power was adding people to their church, that God was expanding their ministries, that there were key ingredients that were causing that. But in the end, God was the one who was responsible for the people that were coming and their lives who were being changed. The sense of they were meeting with God. At our prayer summit this last weekend, I talked with a woman who's going through cancer, and she said every Sunday through the book of Job, it was like God was speaking directly to me. And with tears in her eyes, said every Sunday was like a lifeline. She was meeting with God. And there is something within my heart that says, if we can be sure that people still meet with God, we ought to take that and expand it as far and wide as we can go without ever losing the core of who we are as a church ministry. So our elders are committed to these values for growth. These are the ways in which we're looking at our future. They are these. Number one, stewardship of the present. Listen, more people doesn't make you more successful. (laughs) In, In fact, in many respects, it tests you. And so therefore, we have to be good stewards of what we've been given now. Secondly, make a big church small. Intentionally work at taking people from a large crowd to a small group. Third, preserve the core DNA. There's some things that make this church really special and really unique, and I want to be sure that I don't mess it up, that we don't mess it up. Now, there's also some little, as our staff calls them, the, um, the aberrant DNA that we're trying to work out of the system, too. But the, the, the core DNA that makes us unique, we want to be sure that we preserve that as we're moving forward. Fourth, we want to maximize our property. We've been given this property, and uh, we need to take care of it. We need to be sure that while we don't build a Taj Mahal or make things unnecessary ornate, we also need to realize that just because you're familiar with certain things and how run down they look at certain times, it doesn't mean that when a visitor comes in, they see the same thing. You see coffee stains, you know, in your living room, and that's like, well, we use our living room, and a visitor comes in and thinks you don't clean your house, right? Well, visitors think the same thing about a church. And therefore, we've got to maximize our, our property, be sure we take good care and good stewardship of what we've been given. 
Also flexibility in our future to be sure that we don't put God in a box and say, Lord, um, we want you to define our future. And then finally, expanded influence to be able to position our church such that over the long haul, we can see God help us to influence our city, our nation and our world for the glory of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, you're going to be tested in all of this because we have Easter coming. Okay, it's coming in two weeks. And here's what I don't want you to do. Oh, good grief. It's too full. I can't invite a friend. Don't do that. In fact, in your bulletin, you have a card. Look something like this. I had our guys develop these because when I'm at a restaurant, and uh, one of the things I often do is when a waiter comes up, I say, hey, I'm Mark, and I'm a pastor in town, and just a minute, I'm going to pray for my food, and would love to know how I can pray for you. And every once in a while, that conversation will just take off really well. Just so you know, every once in a while, those don't go so well, okay? Just, just so you know, even for, you know, folks like us, they don't go well. Be like, no, or, you know, they're just like, no, nothing. I'm like, nothing to pray for, nothing. I'm like, wow, nice life. Okay, so, um, but then when those go really well, I've wanted to have something to give them. And, and so that's what this is, a little business card. Put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, somewhere you can find it, ladies. And then... Um, Um, that's paulspilker at yourchurch.com. That's the email to send on that one. Okay. And put these in your purse, put them in your visor so that when God brings someone across your path, that suddenly this conversation turns from casual to significant, bam, you can give this to them and say, here, here's my church. Here's the times and, uh, come be my guest at the end of the day. Listen, college park church isn't just about leaders or programs. It's about Jesus being in the center. It's your church. It's your church. And therefore, we as leaders need your help so we can grow and govern and do it all for the glory of God. Lord, thank you for a people who are willing to listen, willing to receive heartfelt concerns, and a people who are responsive. Lord, I I just am so grateful for a people who respond to your word. And I just believe that today is going to be a a family time that's going to result in some action steps, some sacrificial changing of services, looking at parking spaces differently, just thinking a little differently about how we do church so that we can, for your glory and our good, minister to more people. Lord, guard us from thinking that just because we've got 25% more people that somehow we're either special or blessed or that we're exactly doing your will. We've got a lot of work to do, and not the least of which is to be sure we're on our knees and humble. So, Lord, thank you that these challenges over the last couple of months have just really, Lord, at times gotten under my skin and at times driven me to my knees. And honestly, Lord, oftentimes have caused me just to say, I, I just don't know what to do. So thanks, Lord, that you do. And this is your church. And um, we're just stewards of it. While we're closing in prayer, just a word. Some of you may have come today and you wanted specifically to have God address a particular need in your life. And frankly, this message today didn't hit it. And you got a huge burden on your heart. We're going to have some people up here afterwards, some folks who would love to pray with you. We do not want you to leave without having that burden helped and lifted by somebody else. So they're here to be able to minister to you. And if you're a first-time visitor, man, we are just so glad you're here. And our coffee talk room, as Eric mentioned, is out in the back. You go to the visitor desk, someone will take you there. We're just glad you're here. Lord, thank you for your blessings, for your beauty, and for what it means to be your children. You're the best, Christ. (laughs) And we just want to have hearts that are lit up to be passionate followers of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.